Welcome to the Enlightened Practice Podcast, brought to you by the Luminello Electronic Medical Record folks. Here are your hosts, Dr. Ken Braslow and Dr. Carrie Kagan. Hi, Carrie. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Ken. Thank you. It's great to have you here today. And we have a um, question from one of our listeners who's asking about if we have any tips for negotiating with insurance companies regarding rates. And so at first, I thought I'd just start off by asking you, um, what's what's been your experience uh, being in network with insurance companies? And uh, we can go from there. Sure. Yeah, I was in network with one insurance company at the be- when I first started in my private practice, and I decided to um, to contract with with that company. One because it was a way of building my caseload early on, and two because this specific insurance company represented a population that uh, felt near and dear to my heart. So it gave me access to working with that population. Um, and I've stayed in network with them for a few years and decided to leave because I just didn't have many clients through them at the end of the day. And I had already built up my um, private practice outside of insurance. So it just wasn't as necessary to stay in their network. Um, but I didn't have to go through the negotiation process with them. So I'm curious to hear about your experience and tips there. Sure. How was it that you didn't have to go through the process with them? It was take or leave our rates? That's a good question. I probably didn't know at the time that I could negotiate, to Uh. be honest. It was, I was early (laughs) on in practice. They also do this one company does did tend to offer higher rates in general, because it was working with a really specific population. Um, so my understanding just from what I heard through the grapevine was that this was high on the higher end for insurance companies. Um, so just never, yeah, I honestly never crossed my mind to do so at the time. I wish I had known though, cause I probably would have done it. <laughs> and did they, um, make you do treatment plans or other types of paperwork that you felt were excessive while you were seeing their clientele or did your experience go Okay but you just didn't need them any longer in your practice. Yeah, no, there wasn't any excessive kind of paperwork. It was just the, the electronic system that I needed to work through to um, submit payment or invoices to get paid. Um, and if that didn't go, if something went wrong there for whatever reason, like maybe a code was um, input incorrectly or something, then it was a long time on the phone to figure out how to solve those kinds of problems. Um, so it was more like problem solving that took a lot of time more so than any like upfront paperwork or treatment planning or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And that was similar to my experience in that I felt like 98% of the time, once I was in network, everything went as it should. Uh, the system wasn't actually so terrible. But it was the 2% of the time that a claim, for whatever reason, didn't go through that required a lot of time to understand what happened. And sometimes even when I talked with the insurance company on the phone, they didn't know. And they would just have you resubmit, which is an expensive use of time uh, just to be on the phone with them. And I don't know if there's a certain purposeful... Uh, 
delayed kind of response on their part or uh, gumming up the works just to uh, keep you honest, or if they're really just incredibly large institutions and organizations that are imperfect and uh, sometimes one one side doesn't know what the other side is doing. Uh, I remember having to sometimes deal with claims and ended up getting referred over to provider services um, where totally different department and where I would have to talk with them about my rates or that sort of thing, as opposed to the claim itself. So I wouldn't even say there was a pattern other than it was yeah. painful. Uh, yeah. Those two, that 2% of the time. Uh, the other, uh, when I did take uh, insurance, the other experience that I had was uh, as a psychiatrist trying to do psychotherapy, I think that just did not compute for them. I think maybe it was not, there's not many of us who, who do that. And um, so they would never give me a hard time when I was starting out treatment. But mm-hmm. occasionally, if I had seen someone for, let's say, more than 20 sessions, they would ask, so what's going on here? What's the treatment plan? And um, I I don't know if that was their standard procedure, and they do that with everyone, or if they really didn't like uh, paying for a psychiatrist to do therapy. I'm not sure. Right, so right. So that kind of sent me the message, uh, we're not too interested in you doing therapy. And sure. toward the end of my time with them, uh, they did say, oh, well, we're going to need you to do a treatment plan for a couple of these patients. And this was before treatment plans were a lot easier to do in a more automated way. And I said, okay, I, I'll use this as an opportunity to exit the network because I just didn't want to have to yeah. go through this on a long-term basis. And these are high acuity patients or pretty severely uh, challenged patients. And uh, not an easy treatment plan to document in the way they wanted it. Of course, every time I'm seeing a patient, I'm thinking about what's the plan. But to have to justify it to the insurance company and have them agree or disagree when they've never met the person that I'm seeing, I just didn't feel like was a reasonable use of uh, my professional time. So, Absolutely. so that's par- part of why I switched out. But I, I can speak to the original question, which is yeah. negotiation tips for insurance companies. And yeah, I'm curious. I'm yeah, so you can negotiate. They don't uh, advertise that. Um, they typically just send you, if you contact them and say, I'd like to become a network, they'll send you like a hundred page contract with the rates buried on page 78 and two little stickies that say sign here as if that's just what you do. And they've, they've got their system down pretty well. I, I uh, tried to get in network with several companies when I was starting out and they all had the same technique. And one of them said, uh, first you need to get credentialed and then we'll consider negotiating the rates. And I thought, that's not interesting to me because I'm going to spend a ton of time giving you all the paperwork you need and then you've already got me a little bit because I've invested the time. So I moved on from them. Other companies, I told them I wanted to negotiate and they asked me to submit uh, rates. And of course, nobody wants to go first in a 
contract negotiation. You want to see what the other side is willing to provide. So what I did was I looked at the rates that they proposed in Appendix F, page 78, and I typically started out by saying, well, why don't we double these? And then they would come back and say, well, there's no way we can do that. And I'd say, okay, well then, you know, what? what's the best you can do? And they would sometimes negotiate it on a per CPT code basis and sometimes on a just a across the board percentage basis for all right. CPT codes. And if you're going to negotiate on a per CPT code basis, I would advise know which CPT codes you're going to use. Uh, it's really important because once the negotiation is done, they've got you. They're highly unlikely to want to go back and renegotiate at least for a couple of years. And right. you better know what you're asking for. I'll make a pause here to invite our listeners to share this podcast with others if you find it useful. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, send us your questions and comments. Our email is enlightenedpractice at luminello.com. That's enlightenedpractice at luminello.com. Now, back to the conversation. And in my practice, there's maybe four CPT codes that I use day in, day out. And those are the ones that I used in training and then in um, when I left training and went into private practice. And I didn't really need to negotiate on the other 57 CPT codes that are out there. And so don't waste your time with them haggling over every CPT code. It's not worth it. And they're they're probably going to be less likely to give you the real rate increases that you want and the, co- the core CPT codes that you are using. If it's an across-the-board rate increase, then you may be able to say, okay, I can do X percentage above, but I'm picking this one CPT code and I really need this one CPT code to be even higher percentage. And they may be willing to do that, especially if it is a new intake. That's really meaningful for them because insurance companies need to have good numbers that show that we get you in to see a specialist within X number of days. So... Knowing that, that's a little bit of their vulnerability. Of course, that means you're taking on more patients and you may or may not want to go that path. But you don't have to see more patients, but that's an area where they're typically more likely to negotiate the fee. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's uh, kind of the um, within the contract. I'd say stepping back. It's really important to examine your time frame. So I started negotiating with them six months before I knew that I wanted their first patient to walk in my door. If you graduate and you are going into full-time private practice and the first day you're sitting there and nobody's calling you and you go, oh no, I better get in network, they've got you. The credentialing process itself takes forever. It's not as bad as it used to be. Sadly, when I was starting out, everything was paper, and it took a ridiculous amount of time. And now there are centralized databases for this process, but it still can take quite a long time. I had one insurance company, uh, my contact there said, the credentials committee meets once a month, and hopefully your packet will come up next month. So who knows how many applicants, maybe they had hundreds of applications to review that day. And if you're on the bottom of the heap, now you're waiting two months instead of a month. So 
they either consciously or unconsciously have the benefit of time. Mm-hmm. Of course, they would like to get people credentialed more quickly, I would assume, but maybe if they know you're negotiating, they stall a little bit. Right. So I would highly recommend thinking about when is the first day that I need to have my own clients or patients walking in the door and subtract six months. There was one insurance company that I work with. It actually took one year. Wow. And I don't know why that is. I think it had something to do with their provider services person who was my contact must have been the provider services person for like 3,700 other clinicians because it would take forever for emails to get uh, answered. Maybe there was some executive functioning challenges with that person, or maybe just as an organization, they were dysfunctional and or functional and just everything takes forever there Uh, like you can at many large institutions. So I was fortunate that I was already in network with other companies and I could just wait it out and it was worth it Mm -hmm. because they were willing to pay more, but I would have been not in a good space if I needed it and they were just going to move on the time that they were going to move and there was nothing I could do. Sure, I would, yeah. I would say, thinking about context a little bit more, you definitely don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Just like in general, you would never have just one client in your practice. And even in or companies and organizations that don't provide services, but sell widgets, they typically never want to have just one client. It's too risky. You have to spread your attention and your business over as um, wide a pool as you can. Although too large a pool is not good either. So each business has to figure out what the ideal number is. But for most businesses, it's highly unusual that their ideal client base is an N of one. And I highly recommend that you even if you're not going to be in network with 10 insurance companies, you should apply to 10 insurance companies. And one, some may just flake out or say you're not even, your degree, your profession type isn't even needed in our network. Mm-hmm. So you certainly can't count on them taking you in network. Right. And then if they are all interested, or at least some of them, you can look, compare the rates of all the companies and negotiate against other companies. Now, some will say, well, we're not going to negotiate just because you got an offer from a company A or B, we're not going to negotiate and you know, start a spreadsheet, put their best number up and put everyone else's number up and then maybe just hone in on a few companies. You should right. know which companies have the biggest market share of clients though. So the way it works is the companies that have the largest market share in your local area, meaning they have the most number of patients and clients who are subscribed to them, are going to be the least willing to negotiate because they've got you. They know that they have more market share and they know that they're going to send you a lot of clients or patients and they're going to fill your business or at least partially contribute to it through volume as opposed to through um, the rates. Whereas insurance companies that may be big, but may not have a big market penetration in your local area are going to be much more likely to negotiate because they're going to have fewer 
clinicians and network because the clinicians know, well, I don't want to waste my time with this insurance company because they're not going to send me many people. And so having a blend of perhaps one or two insurance companies that have high market share and then one or two companies that have not so high market share. So you, and then you can go test, go see how it goes for six months or a year and see who's sending you the most referrals and are they quality referrals and you can then re uh, do the numbers in a year. Sometimes insurance companies will say, well, you need to be in network for two or three years before we'll negotiate. Mark your calendar and start that process again, six months before that date and see if you can negotiate specific CPT codes at that time. Uh, they typically won't be willing to negotiate as much on a renegotiation, but they want to keep you in network typically if you've done an okay job. And so um, you, you do have a little bit of leverage if you threaten to leave the network. And if you're already in other networks, then you have that much more resiliency and buffer in your practice. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, why would anybody take insurance rates? Well, one, that may be what the market says you have to do depending on your local um, arrangement in the marketplace, you know, not, um, it is probably more the exception than the rule that patients can pay private uh, pay rates. And it makes sense. And there's lots of good in working with insurance companies and populations who are subscribing to insurance. And virtually every patient or client you see will have insurance. Anyway, it's just a matter of, yeah. will you take it? Right. But you should be thinking about insurance less from a I, I think from a money point of view and more from a marketing point of view they're essentially doing your marketing for you mm -hmm. i know the day that i hit one of the big insurance companies websites my phone i don't know if people got an alert or something but <laughs> i the phone had never rung that much and wow. I went on the website, I had been checking, and that day I was on the website, and I got really busy all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. So they are, in a sense, a vehicle for your practice, to, for your brand to get your name out. And you're paying lower rates in return for their efforts at marketing and for the volume they're going to send you. And that's the deal. You don't have to take insurance forever if you don't want to, or you don't think it's a good idea, but... Um, it's a fine way to start out. The other thing I would say is think about, okay, do you need to be in private practice full time to start out? If you have a situation where you have a, a community mental health job half time, then you have a lot fewer slots you have to fill mm -hmm. to start your private practice. And so that may also affect how much you want to take insurance or how hard you're going to negotiate Right. So, yeah. I know we've talked in other episodes about uh, how much to charge and those things, so we won't go into that here, but that's just uh, some general thoughts in terms of approaching a negotiation. The other thing I'll say um, is there's, on those 100-page contracts, there's a lot of other clauses in there, and you could hire an attorney to read them to you or for you, uh, and or you could do it on your own, but it's important not to just look at the rate sheet and sign the contract, whether the rate sheet is what you want it to be or what they want it to be or somewhere in between. 
uh, there's a lot of clauses in there that are very meaningful and yeah. it's well worth reading them, especially uh, being able to guarantee access within a certain amount of time. Each insurance company approaches that differently. Right. What to do when you're full. And you got to be careful with that because you cannot tell certain, you have to be full across the board in your practice. You can't just say, I'm full to this particular insurance company's clients or patients. Right. Uh, it can get you in some hot water. And be prepared for insurance companies to call you directly and say, well, we have a patient for your practice. And can you take them? And if you are on your voicemail, say, I am not accepting any new clients or patients at this time, I think you're less likely to hear from them. But if they call you, you can't tell them, well, I'm full. It's too late. Uh, it sounds like you're just being difficult. So wow. uh, I would just, you have to be really careful. And then looking at the evergreen clauses and what's the termination? Whenever you begin a, an agreement, you have to know, how do I get out of this? And right. what are the timelines and what are the criteria? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think I will pause there. Any other thoughts or advice um, or things you can think about? Um, the only other thing that I might add that could potentially help in the negotiation process, I guess it would depend on the insurance company and how important this is to them. But I think if you can offer some kind of specialty, like getting certified in a certain type of treatment or something like that, that targets a smaller population of people, like you're one of few providers that can offer something that might give you some leverage for negotiating as well. So it's something we're thinking about if you happen to have a, a highly specialized practice that you might be able to um, negotiate good rates with an insurance company if you know you offer some unique services. You know, that's a really good point. I would imagine speaking additional languages helps if those mm -hmm. languages are uh, in the catchment area that uh, the insurance company is needing to um, cover. And also your zip code, that may play a role. If you're in a densely populated right. zip code, uh, they may look at that differently than if you're in a less densely populated zip code. So yeah, uh, those are yeah. things to be thinking about. Okay, well, that's good. I'm Hope this was useful and um, hopefully, yeah, for me. yeah well, great. And <laughs> if uh, our listeners have any other questions, we'd love to hear them. And um, we'll have some instructions um, outside uh, on, on the webpage on how to send us uh, more questions. Thanks, Carrie. This was fun. Was yeah, good chatting. thanks, Ken. You too. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye. If you like today's podcast and want to hear more, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have a question you'd like to be discussed on a future podcast, send it to enlightenedpractice at luminello.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time.